You are listening to Sermon Audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more Sermon Audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Morning, church. If you guys want to make your way back to your seats, we're going to go ahead and get going. I'm glad you guys could be here today. I, um, ooh, background music today. <laughs> um, I'm glad you guys are here. It's crazy being in this room right now because it's frigid and I love it. I love it. It was so hot last week, but right now it's like an oven in the library. It's like where we did our discipleship class this morning, which is like sweltering in there. I feel like the school is just like, listen, we'll cool one room for you. You get to choose. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which, by the way, I I am so pleased and happy with how many nerds there are in this church who wanted to sit in a church history class with me this morning. That was awesome. Um, It really was. It it, it was cool. I, I geek out on that stuff, and I love getting to spend that time with you guys. But Today, we are in Malachi. If you want to go ahead and turn over to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. You can use your table of contents. If you open up to around the middle, you'll be in Psalms. You can go to the right. If you hit the New Testament, you've gone too far. Um, As you guys are turning there, I wanted to, to just say just a really quick kind of side note. A lot of you guys, hopefully you guys know if you're part of Red Tree, that we are a part, officially, of the Southern Baptist Convention, an a evangelical denomination here in uh, North America. And they're having their national convention uh, this next week. Um, and it's been, it's been pretty heated. There's a couple big things they're debating that have been kind of spicy and divisive. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just want to take a minute to say we should, we should be, uh, in this week, if you think about it, we should be in prayer for our brothers and sisters and for the larger part of the church we're a part of. I still stand by, you know, when, when Red Tree made a decision to be a part of the SBC, it was because we really, really believe um, in this idea of cooperation for the gospel. Um, the thing, things like the IMB, the International Mission Board, and the North American Mission Board, and the seminary system that allow our giving and our faithfulness to reach farther and be a part of missions and church planning and raising up uh, pastors and parts of the world that we couldn't be a part of otherwise. I think that's super important, and I, I still stand by that. But there's a lot of hurt and wounds in our kind of tradition right now. And so if you think about it this week, be in prayer or that convention. The SBC is the largest evangelical denomination in North America, and so there are eyes on us uh, when they do a convention. And so just praying for unity, pray for God to be glorified, pray for us to not fight over stupid stuff, but to come together on the important stuff, yeah? So... We're in Malachi. I'm going to jump to it, and we'll just read our text. We're in the first chapter, starting in verse 6, and we hear this. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. 
when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Said the Lord of hosts. And now, entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. And this is the word of the Lord. That's a text, huh? Let's pray real quick. Spirit, we need you this morning. As we seek to engage this text, we want to hear from you. We want to open our hearts to the actual ministry of the prophets. We want to hear what you're saying in this. And God, I am hesitant to even say this, but Lord, we want to be cut and convicted of our sin. We want to see our selfishness and our flesh so that we can actually come to you in repentance and find life. So God, I ask that you would speak clearly to us this morning. Let us not be distracted by the the predominant views of this world, but God, let let us hear from you this morning. Clarify this text for us. Draw us to real conviction. Draw us to your love today. We need you to do this. So Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen. You know, they say if you, um, if you want to be able to say like you really understand the vision of something, you should be able to like sit down in like 30 seconds and like write it out on a napkin, right? Like the elevator pitch type thing. For the prophets, the ministry of the prophets, that comes out in essentially this. In his mercy... God calls out his people for their sin. That's the ministry of the prophets. Out of love and mercy, God gives second and third and fourth and five thousandth chances to his people because he loves them. Because he loves them, he calls them out for their sin. 
He calls them away from death and toward holiness. We sang a lyric this morning. One of my favorite songs, this song, All I Have is Christ. In the first verse, it says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet I thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. We think we know where we're going, right? Sin promises us something awesome in our ear, and we feel like we understand the world, we understand how this thing is going to go along, and when we get to the end of the journey, we find ourselves facing death, not life. God, in his mercy, meets us along the way and tells us what direction we're going. And you need to know, that's not pleasant. When you think you know what you're doing, when you think you know you're going the right way, when you think you are in control of your circumstances and your life, and you're actually careening towards destruction, and someone boldly intervenes on your behalf, it's not pleasant. It's actually humiliating. It's actually painful. It takes, it takes a lot of humility to stop and submit to that and say, Oh man, I am wrong. Even when you, when you, when you can't see it, right? I think of the image of uh, a little kid running out toward a busy street. Right? They're thinking about being with their parents. They're thinking about playing. They're thinking about running to the car. They're thinking about a myriad of things that all seem pleasant and right. But the parent is thinking about the cars speeding up and down the street. And so they shout, no, stop, don't, no. Right? And that kid might get in trouble. That kid might have punishment. And that's not pleasant. But the parent can see the kid is walking toward their own destruction. They're walking down a path that's going to hurt them and injure them. So they intervene in a way that is unpleasant for the benefit of the kid. The kid didn't know any better. You know what I mean? Maybe they do. Some of you are like, my kid knows better. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? You have to understand that when we step into the ministry of the prophets. See, this is this season of life in, in Israel's history, and we can say in church history, when God's people are moving themselves, are walking boldly toward their own destruction. To use the terms of some of the great awakening preachers, they are unaware of the mortal peril of their soul, Right? And so God, in his mercy, intervenes and speaks harshly to them, which makes it hard for us to engage the prophets oftentimes. We don't like to think of God speaking bluntly and plainly. We, we don't like to hear some of these hard words. But church, I want to encourage you this morning, and I want to encourage you this summer as we're in these books. Man, don't avoid this. Let yourself hear some hard words. Let yourself see the, the, actual, the actual warnings in this. Let yourself see the love that's behind this discipline. See, God starts the book of Malachi by saying, I have always loved you. He starts by framing the whole discussion 
in his covenant love, his covenant choice of Israel. And now he's going to step into blasting them for the rest of the book. See, what we just stepped into in this text is really intense, right? God says, you despise me. Whoa! Right? God, God jumps straight into this indictment. Remember, Malachi is structured around this idea of these accusations from God. It's kind of like an ancient courtroom drama. These accusations from God about the behaviors and the heart attitudes and the postures of his people. And then he predicts their responses and then speaks into the responses, right? So he says, you have despised me. And you say, how do we despise you? And then he goes into this intricate thing about the sacrificial system. Right? So remember, Israel was destroyed, it was conquered, and now Persia has allowed Israel to go back home, and they've rebuilt Jerusalem, and they've rebuilt the temple, and they're worshiping in the temple again. Right? There are priests, there's animal sacrifices, there's the whole deal, and Malachi is busting into that and being like, this is profane worship. This is awful. Why are you doing this to me? And it's weird, right? It's weird for God to make this transition from, man, I love you so much. What is your problem? But you need to hear this. There's something here that's actually really important to our understanding this, is in this world, the whole idea, remember, okay, so so in our world, we're, we're modern, Western, like North American culture, we operate really fundamentally from an ethic of right and wrong. We understand the world around the concepts of right and wrong, right? Laws are put in place to enforce what's right, to, to make what's wrong. Like we, we understand the world that way, that there is this outside measurement of ethical good and ethical evil, right? For the most part, most of the Bible is written in, the world, in a world that's built around an ethic of honor and shame. And that's a, that's, that's a big difference. And then there's a whole lot going on there. If you want to get out of the coffee and dig into the differences between a right and wrong ethic and an honor-shame ethic, we can do that. It's interesting. It's nerdy. But what we need to know for these purposes is that in this culture, the, the idea of love, even romantic love, apart from honor, is totally foreign. Right? In this world, honor sets the foundation for love to even exist. There cannot be love apart from honor in this world. And so God, in this accusation, starts out by saying, I love you guys a ton. I have been faithful. I chose you. I have loved you. I still loved you. But you don't even honor me. What God is essentially saying here is, we're not even going to talk about the fact that you don't love me. That's pretty obvious. We're going to talk about the fact that you don't even honor me. You're not willing to take the first step. You despise me. How have we done that? Well, look at the sacrifices. And then he digs into what's going on in the temple. He accuses the priests and he says, you're offering these polluted sacrifices. You're bringing lambs and goats and sheep that are blind or lame or just ugly. <laughs> and that's unacceptable. That's kind of weird, right? It seems like a petty thing for God to be upset about. Like, you kind of look at that and you're like, but you don't really do anything with that sheep, God. Like, <laughs> why do you care if he's blind or not? And it's an interesting question. It's one we need to talk about. We're not going to 
dig too deep on it, but it, but it is important. You see, this is a reference. This is, actually, this is actually foundational to our understanding of the text. If you go back and read Leviticus, which you should, super interesting. I'm going to read you a passage from Leviticus 22. We get this. Uh, this is when uh, God is giving the original law to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering or any of their vows or freewill offerings that they may offer to the Lord, it is to be accepted for you, or if it is to be accepted, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or a sheep or of the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd of the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish on it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilating or having an itch or scabs. You shall not suffer to the Lord to give them to him as an offering on the altar. What God's accusation here through Malachi to the people of Jerusalem is that you are breaking the law. You're breaking my law. I told you how this works, and you're breaking it. Now, that's, again, that sounds, it sounds really detached to us, right? That sounds really just legalistic and petty, like at a glance reading, but you need to dig into this just a hair deeper. Remember that, that the whole story of the Old Testament is that sin has broken man's relationship with God. You go back to Genesis 1 through 3, and you see a story of God creating perfection and inviting humanity into relationship with him. But sin breaks that relationship. And from that point on, God begins working and laboring to reestablish the relationship through these things called covenants, where God comes and makes these promises to his people, saying, I will fix and restore what you have broken through sin. I will make a way for us to be unified again. I will make a way for us to be together again. And the Old Testament story really kind of comes together around this covenant at Mount Sinai that, that, that God makes with the nation of Israel through the prophet Moses. And in that covenant, go back and read Leviticus, read Deuteronomy, God, like to a T, establishes the boundaries of relationship between him and Israel. And that's super important. You see, sin has broken the relationship. There's a disconnect. Sin has made it so that a holy and righteous and perfect God can no longer be with his creation whom he loves because they're no longer holy. They're no longer righteous. They're no longer set apart. But God loves them too much to leave them like that, so he creates a way for them to be connected anyway. And he comes along through the different covenants, but specifically at Sinai, and he says, listen, 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 listen. He grabs a hold of an accepted cultural practice, and he says, do this, 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 and this, and we can be together. He's creating a method for his people to be obedient and set apart so they can be with him again. You know, I, I know I, I say this like jokingly, like no one likes to read Leviticus because it's weird and kind of boring. But if you actually go and read Leviticus, it's beautiful because in each of these sacrifices, as God describing in, in like brutal detail how these sacrifices work, he ends each one by saying something along the lines of propitiation will be made, your sins will be forgiven. 
See, at Sinai, God comes alongside his people and says, I love you too much to leave you wallowing in death and disconnection. Come alongside me, act in obedience, act in holiness, and we can be together again. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the beauty of Sinai. God has invited humanity, broken, sinful, separate, selfish humanity, back into relationship with him. And so when we get to Malachi, what looks to us at a glance reading is just kind of this like petty, legalistic, angry thing is actually God speaking deeply into his relationship with his people. Speaking out of the, like using like these kind of legal terms, but speaking out of love and relationship. Saying, I love you guys. I chose you guys. I have endured alongside you guys. I have preserved, like I love you guys. But you hate me. You need to hear that. He doesn't open his argument by saying, you broke the rules. No, 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 no. He gets to that. But he says, you you despise me. I love you. And you hate me. That's harsh language. And, And church, like, we need to think about that. Because look at the response that God predicts. He goes, how do we hate you? Look at your practice. Look at your empty religion. Look at what you're doing. How can you not hate me? I I, I gave you this gift so that you can be with me, so that we can be together. And you, you hate it. And he goes on, he says, I wish... I wish I would rather you close the doors to the temple and not even light a fire in the altar. I would rather you just bold face walk away from the entire covenant than than do this half-hearted stuff. Where you come in there with with, with your robes on and with the priests there and and you do the whole thing, but it's done from this heart of hatred. I'd rather you just leave. Oh. See, this is the the language of a jilted lover, right? God loves his people. And he says, look at what you're doing. Now, we have to go back to what Israel's experiencing right now. Israel's been conquered. These are traumatized people. They've seen their land, their identity, their culture destroyed. They are enslaved to a foreign oppressor. It's only because of the will of their oppressor that they've been allowed to come back to Jerusalem and build a temple and start this worship. Remember we talked about this last week. Their understanding of God's love and God's power is broken and distorted. So yeah, their worship is really broken and distorted because they've lost who God is. They've lost the truth of the scripture. You know, God uses this image. He goes, try offering that kind of food to your governor. Which, by the way, the actual word he uses there, this is super interesting, is the specific word for a Persian overseer. 
He says, try offering that to your oppressor. See what they would do. God essentially says here, you honor your oppressors more than you honor me. And remember, honor is the foundation for love. He's not even talking about love yet. He just says, you'd rather, you'd rather show honor to the people who are beating you down and oppressing you than the God who has loved you from before you were born. Man. And you just kind of look at this, and, and, and right from the outside, we're able to go like, but man, I, I see why. I see why they would do that. Look at their circumstances. Look how awful, look how hard life has been to these people. Of course they're upset with God. Of course their theology is distorted. But God, God pushes. He pushes and he goes, listen. And we get this prophetic piece in verse, oh, can't find it. Verse 11. He says, I wish, I wish, I wish you would just stop doing this. Do you think, and then he gets this line, I find no pleasure in this. I don't enjoy your worship right now. This isn't like, this isn't fun for me. And he goes, but you know, in verse 11, he gives this prophetic piece. I am the king of the world. And people from every nation will worship me rightly and purely. Essentially saying like, I could walk away from this if I wanted to. I don't, I don't need you guys. I love you. I'm here by choice. I'm here by commitment. I'm here out of love. And then he gets to the heart of the issue. But you say, this is wearisome. And you snort. It's a funny image. See, God cuts right to the quick of it. And he says, you don't like worshiping me rightly, offering good sacrifices the way it's outlined, the way, we, the way this has been defined. You don't like doing that because it's wearisome to you. It's a pain to you. Of course it is. Of course it's a pain to them. Their life is a pain right now. They're experiencing suffering and oppression. To then come alongside that and joyfully sacrifice the best you have for God, the God who left them in this scenario in the first place, right? God says, you, I'd rather you just quit it then do it like this. Man, I, I know I'm like repeating myself, but I, I feel like we need to hear this language. God is hurt by this. He's wounded by this. And his people are hurt in this. Yes, they're operating in sin and rebellion. The prophet is calling them out, but, but it's important to see the heart behind the sin. They're exhausted and they're weary, and they're despairing. Life has beaten them down. And their response to that is this, like, less than bare minimum, empty, 
vain religiosity. Where they're going to the temple and they're worshiping, but it's not actual worship the way God prescribed because that's a pain. Right? And God essentially says, I'm just not willing to do this. I just, I just, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm the king of the world. I'm just, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to accept these offerings. I'm not going to take pleasure in this. I'm not going to anoint this worship. I'm just not. This isn't the deal. This isn't how we engage. This isn't what our relationship looks like. I'm just not going to do this. And if you think I am, you're a fool. He goes so far to say, cursed is the one who tries to cheat me in this. Who thinks they can, they can show up and, and, and do some actions and be in a worship service and kill an animal and that's just going to make things good. Like that's what I'm about. See, God here is actually attacking this idea of empty religion and empty legalism. We're going, I'm not here because I love the smell of burnt goat. I'm here because I love you guys. I'm here because I want relationship with you. I'm here because I want life and betterment for you. And here's the problem. Here is the crux of the issue that we're going to come back to over and over and over in the prophets is that God made you for life and joy and freedom. And that only happens when you are connected to him, your creator, the giver and sustainer of your life. But God is holy, and you are not. That's the issue. God is holy, and he will not be less than who he is. Not because he's like dangling that over you like, oh, if you really love me. No, 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 no. Because in order for God to be God and you to be connected, he, ha- he is who he is. He's holy. He's other. He's set apart. He's divine. He wants you to have life and connection with him. But that's not found by him being less than God. That's found by him drawing you to holiness. That's found by him taking what is dead in you and resurrecting it to perfection. You see, I think we need to hear this church. Not because I'm not here to be like, God's so mad at you, Red Tree. If you don't worship just right, if you have a day where you're upset or you're bitter or you're angry at God or your theology's off, and he's like, well, just, just close the whole thing down, everyone go home. That's not what I'm saying. That would be silly, and I wouldn't get a paycheck. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. But I do need you to hear this. I need you to actually think about how God might respond to you in your heart, in your worship. You do actually need to reflect upon what a prophet might say to you. Say to your home. Say to our church. 
You need to think about if you actually engage God in love and holiness. So I asked you last week, remember we talked about this idea of like, man, have you ever been in a place where your circumstances are so painful that it, it, it makes you doubt God's love for you or God's power over your life? Like we need to think about that. But here, here you need, you, you need to think about something a little different. You need to think about if you actually offer real worship to God. You need to think about if you despise his name. You need to think about if your distortion of who God is, your broken understanding of his love for you, of his power over your life, of his holiness, if your your broken understanding of who God is has fueled you to profane worship. You need to reflect on that. Do you do you give yourself a pass on God's standards? See, here's the thing. This is the Old Testament. This is the Old Covenant. We don't come here and burn goats, right? And in fact, God no longer even asks us to bring a perfect spotless lamb because he already sent a perfect spotless lamb. See, Christ came as the perfect sacrifice. And the old covenant was fulfilled and the new covenant was inaugurated when Christ died on the cross, a perfect and complete sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath on our behalf, to destroy sin and kill death. When Christ was resurrected and ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, when the new covenant, the age of the church, when that happened, our worship changed. And we no longer have to offer perfect lambs and goats. You don't need to go back to Leviticus 22 and be like, oh shoot, I have not done that. Christ did that for you. We no longer have to to put fire under the altar. But that does not give you a pass from right worship with God. It does not give you, like, you don't get to, like, look at these guys and be like, oh, those poor Israelites bound to those methods of worship that God described. I, in the church, I, we're enlightened, we're above. No, 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 no. You're in a new covenant. God has prescribed worship. In fact, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, when he was preparing to inaugurate this kingdom, he said, God is looking for true worshipers. People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Beloved, don't fall into the trap that the new covenant means God has not defined the, the, the boundaries of your relationship. God has very explicitly defined your relationship under the new covenant. He died on the cross to destroy your sin. He sent his Holy Spirit to, to convict you and draw you into righteousness and sanctify you. He gave you his perfect righteousness so that you stand before God justified and he has promised that he will return and recreate all things new so that you might experience eternity with him. God has clearly defined the the nature of your relationship in the new covenant. And do not fall into the trap of thinking you cannot give yourself a pass on God's holiness and live a licentious life that falls short of his worship.
Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. In this section of Romans, Paul is talking about why the old covenant fell short and what the Jewish people missed. And he transitions in chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, I'd appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Beloved, you are not asked to bring a perfect spotless sheep to an altar and burn it up. You are asked to give yourself fully to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You're asked to look at what the world offers, the joys, the pursuits, the money, the pleasure, the relationships. You're asked to look upon those things and choose instead to pursue Christ. To give yourself fully to him. To give yourself fully to the work of his kingdom here on earth. To find life and satisfaction and joy in him. Not because he's some like mean legalistic guy telling you what you can and can't do, but because that's what he actually built you for. It was that kind of life and that kind of freedom in him. And do not think for a second that we are not susceptible to the same lie as Israel before us. You see, when circumstances get hard, when life is painful, when we experience injustice or broken relationship or betrayal or financial or material loss, fill in the blank, and life becomes painful... It's easy for us to step back and say, well, how can God really say he loves me? Look at what has happened in my life. Look at this suffering. Look at it in comparison to these other lives that suffer less. Clearly, God doesn't love me or he is not powerful enough to actually solve my problems. And when you're in that space of, may I say, like, hear this in love, church, when you're in that space of blasphemy, it is very easy for your religiosity to become exhausting and bitter and empty and vain. Where we can show up and sing songs and we can go to a small group and we can even maybe make ourselves get up in the morning and listen to some Joy FM and like read our Max Licato leadership devotional book or something. And we can check those boxes and we can go, well, you know, at least I'm sticking it through. Like God's kind of screwing me over right now, but at least I'm sticking with this. Beloved, that's not how it works. That is a vain altar. It's a vain altar. God is not pleased with our hours of Joy FM or our Bible study attendance record or how many, like what percentage of the song we raise our hands and whether we do like open palm, like those 
are not what pleases God. When those come from a heart of bitterness and exhaustion and blasphemy, they are a vain altar. They are worthless. They are worse than worthless. They poison the relationship further because they become wearisome and you snort at them. When you find yourself asking questions like, does God really care about that? I mean, honestly, he's the God of the universe. Does he honestly care about my sex life? Honestly? He's, he's like sustaining all of creation. Like he really cares how I talk to that person or what I do with my time, like how, how late I sleep in or like what media, like really, really God cares what TV I watch. I think he's probably more concerned with like starving kids in Africa than what TV I watch. When you start saying those things to yourself, you better be on guard. You better be on guard. Because God is holy. And God is righteous. And beloved, he's made a way for us to walk away from death and sin and find life in him. You need to hear that. The gospel is hope. The gospel is life. The gospel is redemption. But God is still holy. And his standard is still holiness. And his desire for you is still holiness. His desire for you is to die unto yourself, to reject the flesh, to see sin crucified in yourself, that you might become more like him, more righteous, more holy. And hear me, I'm not preaching some weird works righteousness thing where if you sin too many times like God hates you, that's not what I'm saying. God has made a way of life for you through Christ. Never hear anything else. God has made a way of life for you through Christ. But beloved, he's still God. He still desires holiness. Not because he's petty. Because that's actually better for you. That's actually life for you. That's actually freedom for you. It's not like the God of the universe is so petty that he cares about your sex life, like he wants to like catch you and get you in trouble. It's because God built you with the design for sexuality in mind. And when you submit to it, you find deeper joy and life and fulfillment than you can find pursuing your own pleasures. Fill that blank in for everything else we're talking about. It's not that he's petty. It's not that he's angry. It's not that he's bitter. It's that he actually wants life for you. And beloved, hear this. You were built for holiness. It is in your blueprints. It's in your DNA. In eternity with Christ, you will be holy. That's what he's coming back for. To restore all things. That's what he's aiming you. Like that's, that's, the dest- like that's the trajectory of your eternity is holiness and relationship with Christ. So let us, let us not be so blind. Let us not be so foolish 
to think that we can skirt holiness because of things like grace. Purpose of grace, purpose of the gospel is to make you holy, to actually change you, to make you more like Christ. Let us not fool ourselves into thinking God is pleased with vain altars. He's not about that stuff. He's about relationship with you. Remember, he's not angry because Israel gave him a blind goat. He's angry because he loves Israel and they hate him. Beloved, don't, do not let, do not let the lies of the enemy, the blasphemies of your own heart trick you into hating God while you declare out loud that you love him. Don't fall for that trap. He loves you so much. The gospel is such good news. It's such a gift. And come to him with honesty and transparency and confession and receive the gift of life and love. Christ is the lover of your soul. He cares for you in ways you don't even comprehend. He loves you in ways you don't even understand yet. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a few minutes and I'm going to give us some space to pray. And I'd, I'd like for you guys to actually like do what you need to do to engage this space. If you can sit in the chair you're sitting in and you can be with just you and Jesus for a minute, that's cool. If you need to spread around the room, if you need to find a place to get on your knees, if you need to go talk to someone and hear another human being pray over you out loud, we're going to have a couple of prayer counselors here today. I think Kim and then Zach and Nikki, if you guys want to stand up so people can see who you are. They're going to be around the room. If you need someone just out loud to speak the truth of the gospel over you, to pray over you, go find one of them. Go find one of our pastors. But I want to take a few minutes, and I want us just to be with Jesus in prayer. And I want you to be humble enough to actually hear what he's telling you today. Don't, don't be so prideful as to think the merciful message of the prophets is for someone else and not for you. Because God might be telling us today, why do you despise me? Yeah? I'm going to open this up in prayer. We'll give some space. And then we'll continue on our worship. Jesus. I confess to you my blasphemous and sinful heart. I am so ruled by my circumstances. I am so swayed by the winds of experience day to day. I lose your love and your faithfulness in the weeds of everyday struggles and problems and pains and hurts and doubts. And God, if I am honest with you, I often, I often light a vain altar and worship you out of bitter, exhausted obligation. God, I pray that you would change my heart.
pray that you would change our hearts. That you would reveal to us the depths of our sins. You would give us sober eyes to see ourselves so that we can see you clearly, see your love and your invitation clearly. God, in the next couple minutes, just ask that you would cut our hearts and you would speak the truth to us that we need to hear. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.